Welcome back to our teaching in the Gospel of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were completing the entire chapter 15. And basically, we're looking at that time setting in Jesus' final Passover, right before he is arrested, tried, and ultimately crucified. So it is basically in between that time. But in chapter 15, Jesus talked about three primary issues, and that is to abide in him. And the idea was remaining faithful to Jesus. And in that sense of remaining faithful to Jesus, God would produce fruit in the lives of believers who remain faithful to Jesus. And then he told them to love one another. And he, and he uh, said it this way, to love one another as I have loved you. This is greater than the commandment that was given in the law of Moses. For the law of Moses said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you. How is that love? No greater love can a man have than he should lay down his life for his friends. And then as he continued teaching, as he was dealing with the whole issue, and this is the scenario of all of that teaching, the teachings that we see primarily in chapters 14 through 17, dealing with Jesus' soon departure from this world because Jesus realizes that he will soon be crucified after his crucifixion, he'll resurrect from the dead, and for a short while, he'll be on this earth sporadically, and ultimately, he will ascend back into heaven to the right hand of the Father. And so he knows these things, so he gives these words of instructions and primarily comfort, but also too at the end of chapter 15, we see a warning given by Jesus, a warning concerning what the disciples should expect from the world. And that is that the world would hate them and that the world would mistreat them. So Jesus prepares them for, notice now, how they will be received by the world as they continue on in their ministry. Now, Jesus does not go and explain everything to them. This will be the case, and then this will be the case, then this will be the case. Because he realizes that their heart is heavy because he keeps saying to them that he's going to leave them, and this is kind of messing up their own aspirations. And, what, and when I say their aspirations, remember what James and John did, how they got their mother to come and ask Jesus, maybe sit at your right hand and on your left hand uh, in your kingdom, in the glory of your kingdom. They're thinking that Jesus is going to be ruling and reigning. And so they have this desire in their hearts that they will be ruling and reigning at this time, not understanding what the scripture says, how that the Messiah must first be killed, must first be crucified, resurrect from the dead. And then there would be this long expanse of time when Jesus will go away and they themselves will continue on in that ministry. And in their continuation of the ministry that Jesus puts into their care, they will be persecuted. But they don't see this. They see that desire that's set within themselves to rule and reign. Who is the greatest and things of that nature. But nevertheless, Jesus's words are kind of pouring like cold water on them as he keeps talking about his soon departure and they are saddened and also confused. But the end of chapter 15 deals with that the world hated Jesus, so they should expect the same thing. Jesus said to them, I have said to you before that the slave is not greater than the master. If they hated me, 
they will also hate you. And remember, they hated me without a cause. Okay, so now we'll wrap that up. Let's get into chapter 16. Chapter 16 isn't too long, but it's, um, it, it, it's basically Jesus talking with his disciples and he's continuing to comfort his disciples. And it's not a lot of heavy theology that's in chapter 16. So I think we'll be able to finish the entire chapter in this single video. But Jesus, the same idea, the conversation is continuing on from chapter 15 as Jesus continues to encourage his disciples, instruct his disciple, and then try to kind of comfort them and make them aware of what to expect. Remembering that Jesus is not getting into a lot of details at the moment, but as we'll see in chapter 16, Jesus is going to tell them that the Holy Spirit will come and give them the insight that they need at a future date. And we know what that future date is. That is after the coming of the Holy Spirit as spoken of in the book of Acts chapter two. But anyway, enough said about all of that. Let's get into chapter 16. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Okay, so going on, as Jesus was just saying at the end of chapter 15 about the hatred of the world, as when we consider the world, the world basically is all those who do not believe in Jesus. Now, in, that is that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, is God in the flesh the son of God. So those who do not believe in Jesus, this is what Jesus means when he says the world, or we can sometimes call it the unbelieving world. So Jesus continues on to talk about the persecutions that the disciples will have to endure. And so he begins to say, he is telling them about all of this hatred that they will receive from the world and the persecution that they will receive from the world so that they would not stumble. In other words, Jesus did not want them to be caught by surprise. When you see the world begin to mistreat you and to hate you for my name's sake, I don't want you to say, What's, what in the world is going on? I didn't think that they would treat me like this. I thought maybe the world would kind of appreciate me. I'm trying to tell the world the truth. I'm trying to bring to the world the gospel of salvation, that which will benefit and save them. But instead of them appreciating me for the service that I'm doing in the name of Jesus, he sent me to do these things. They're hating me and I'm confused by this. And this is what Jesus means when he says, I have told you all of these things so that you would not stumble, so that you wouldn't fall into this heap of confusion as to why the world is treating you this way and so that you would not become overly discouraged by the mistreatment of the world. Why? Because I told you already that they'll mistreat you. To what point will they mistreat you? To the point where they will actually kill you 
and believe that they are doing the, a service for God, that they are doing the right thing in the sight of God. And now I'm not going to get into a lot of details. You can see this type of attitude in the book of Acts, and you can even see it, uh, especially in Paul the apostle, that is before he became Paul the apostle, when he was Saul, the persecutor of the church. Saul said, or Paul said that he did these things ignorantly in unbelief, but he thought he was doing the right thing. And this is what Jesus said. They will persecute you. They will kill you because they're thinking that they, have, they are doing God a service. And the reason why they're acting so uh, in this aggravating way towards you is because they neither know the father nor me. Now, let me just pause there once again to show you. Uh, remember, we are in the gospel of John. What is the mindset of the gospel of John? The overall theme, the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. And what have we constantly been, been seeing Jesus do in the gospel of John? He keeps tying on himself with the father. That is speaking of the unity of both the father and the son. As, this, as we have this unique unity of Father and the Son, it speaks to the divinity of the Son. Why? The Father is God. In order for the Son to have this absolute unique unity with the Father, he also too must be God. He is the unique one of God. But anyway, that's what we see here when Jesus said, they have not known neither what, the Father or the Son. We can go back to even earlier language when Jesus says what? He who has the son has the father. But if you don't have the son, you don't have the father either. I and the father, again, he says what? Are one. That unity that Jesus always speaks of having with the father. Speaking once again to his what? Divinity. But now let's go back into the context of what we were talking about. So this section here, he talks about, he ends and says what? These things I told you so that when they come, that is when the hour of persecution comes, you will remember that I've said these things to you and it will keep you from being ultimately discouraged. Why? Because Jesus warned us that these things will happen to us. And even for example, we can see this in Acts chapter, what is that, 7? With the persecution of Stephen, they actually killed Stephen and in Acts chapter 12, the death, they killed James, the brother of John. So this great persecution did come in the days of the apostles and they thought they were doing God a service. All right, verse five. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Okay, so now Jesus returns back to the sense of him going away to the Father. But as he said earlier, he would not leave them orphans. He won't leave them alone in the world, 
since Jesus is now going to be absent. And he reiterates the point that he will send the Holy Spirit to them, which Jesus calls here the helper, the parakletos. But anyway, so he says that he's going away and neither one of them, none of them are asking him, where is he going? Why? No one is asking Jesus, where is he going? Because that's not what they want to hear. And Jesus knows that's not what they want to hear. And sorrow has filled their hearts. And so they're not even asking Jesus any questions. And so Jesus continues to say, but it is good. It is to your advantage that I go away because in his departure, he will send the Holy Spirit. Now, let me speak on that. Earlier in chapter 15, he already promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he said that the Holy Spirit who was dwelling alongside of them will come and take up a new habitation on the inside of them. And that is on the inside of all who believe in Jesus. So number one, the coming of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus speaks here, he does not mean that the spirit has not been in the world and been active in the world. What he simply means is that the spirit will come and take up that habitation that he had promised them already to dwell on the inside of them. And so the spirit will not take this particular role within them unless Jesus has gone. Because what? He comes not to take the place of Jesus, that no one can take the place of Jesus. But what the Spirit comes to do is the Spirit comes to give aid to God's people since Jesus is no longer with them. He come, As Jesus was with his disciples, he walked with them, talked with them, and and gave instruction, and he gave revelation to them. This will also be a function of the Holy Spirit, but not in the same sense as uh, 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 Jesse Duplantis likes to talk about. He walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus all the time. It doesn't work that way. But nevertheless, the Spirit through his indwelling power does reveal things to God's people, even especially the apostles and prophets, okay? But the Spirit comes to aid the disciples in the absence of Jesus. And Jesus says, unless he himself is gone, the Spirit will not come and take up this new active role inside of the believer, which is a beautiful thing. As I told you, I think it was on the last video when Jesus spoke about John, and that is John the Baptist, and how that John the Baptist was one of the greatest of the Old Testament periods, even of Old Testament prophets. And even though John did no miracle, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest. And then Jesus continued on to say, but the least in the kingdom. And when he says the kingdom, he's referring to the church, those in the church age, those who will be filled, indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The very least in the church age will be greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because the spirit will literally indwell all of us all the time and will never leave us. And this is a beautiful thing and magnificent work of God only given through the departure of Jesus. And this is because this is the order that God has set for things to be. The father sends the son, 
the Son sends the Holy Spirit. And of course, as we continue on in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit will bear witness about the Son. But now, he kept, let me keep going. So he says, as he goes away, what? What the Spirit's function will be to convict the world. It convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Of sin, he says, because they do not believe in him. And the idea of that is this. Let me say it in a short way. It is the Holy Spirit that brings about conviction of sin. The only way to deal with sin is to believe in Jesus. He is the ultimate sacrifice for sin, and it is his righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus is imputed to those who believe in him. That is that Jesus is God, son of God. He is the Christ who died for our sin. And speaking of that part, that he was crucified and rose from the dead. This is the sin. This is how sin is dealt with through faith in Jesus. But if you do not believe in Jesus, and remember, the unbelieving world does not believe in Jesus. The idea in the background. So do these unbelieving Jews who are uh, responsible for the death of Jesus, along with the Romans as well. But they're part of the world system. They're part of this world system being convicted of sin. Why? They have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, the son of God. Then he said of righteousness. Why? Because he goes to the father. Now this one can seem kind of confusing, but what he really is saying is this. Jesus came in righteousness, in perfect holiness. But what did the world say about Jesus? They said he was a sinner. We know that this man is a sinner. Remember what they said to the man that was born blind? And again, what did they say? That Jesus was demon possessed. But on the contrary, Jesus was the perfect picture of God's righteousness. But this righteousness they rejected. And therefore, the works of Jesus, the person of Jesus, they don't receive and their sin remain. The righteousness of Jesus remains, their sinfulness remains, okay? So the Holy Spirit convicts the world. Jesus indeed is the righteous one. He is the only righteous one. And it is we who are the sinful ones. And we don't like to always confess our sin. And the last thing that the world likes to do is to confess his sin. The world will speak about a mistake, but it does not want to say about, speak about is sin. Then he says of judgment. Why? Remember what Jesus said when the Greeks, John chapter 12, when the Greeks came to and they wanted to see Jesus and Jesus said, now is the time for him to be glorified and the father would be glorified in Jesus. And if a, a grain of wheat remains above the ground, it is alone. But if it falls to the ground and die, it will produce much fruit. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me, signifying the kind of death that he should die. But the whole point of it is, then he continued to say, and now is the ruler of this world judged. That is Satan. So in essence, what Jesus is speaking about is his life, that he lived a righteous life and that his death and his resurrection. These, this is the only resolution for sin. And this will be the message, the gospel of Jesus. 
his life, that Jesus is God and he is also Messiah. God who lived a perfect life amongst us and the one who also died for our sins and resurrected from the dead. This is the basis for the gospel to the which the Holy Spirit will move God's people to preach. And in this, it will convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and ultimate judgment that will come unto Satan. Satan is already judged. He will experience that judgment. He will experience that judgment on the judgment day itself. Okay. But anyway, so Jesus is simply saying that it is expedient. It is good for him to go so that the spirit may come take up residence inside of them so that they can continue this ministry of his to the world. All right. Verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Okay. So now Jesus continues on, but he notices. And of course, what have we been saying about the atmosphere of the disciples? that they are already saddened and depressed because Jesus keeps talking about his soon departure. And plus you add to uh, all of the things that Jesus is saying, they're confusing. They don't really understand everything. And so Jesus simply says this, there are many things that I would like to say to you, but right now your heart is truly grieved. And there were many things I, I can't explain to you right now, but Remember the helper, the Holy Spirit that I've been telling you about when he does come and by his power, his indwelling power in you, he will reveal the truth. And what Jesus means by the truth is he will make you understand why I had to experience the things that I'm saying to you. He'll make you understand the necessity for my sufferings, for my death for my resurrection and even my ascension to the right hand of the father. Cause Jesus keeps saying what I'm going back to the father. Many things I would like to explain to you, but your heart is really heavy now and you are not understanding it and you can't deal with it. But in time, when the Holy spirit does come upon you, he will continue these lessons. He will teach you these things that I cannot say to you right now. And so what does he say? And the end, let me say this point in verse number 14, because I need to deal with this. He says the, the role of the Holy Spirit will be to instruct you concerning the things of me. Look at verse 14. He will glorify the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. And that's what I want to talk about. I don't want to preach it. Let me just simply teach it. You have so many people, especially in so-called Pentecostal movements, and I'm not trying to get into bashing this and bashing that, but there is a falsity 
that takes place in many charismatic churches and charismatic movements. And you hear people all the time saying, the spirit said this, and the spirit told me that, and the spirit told me to tell you this. I've even heard certain prophets, preachers or whatever, the spirit said that you're going to get a thousand dollars. And the spirit said, all of these things are lies. All of them are lies. Notice what Jesus says that the primary function of the Holy Spirit will be to glorify Jesus. If whatever a person is saying to you in some way or another is not bringing glory to Jesus, it is not the spirit. I don't know whether it's a demon, their own imagination, or just a bald-faced lie. I don't know. I'm not trying to guess on that. But what I do know is this. Jesus teaches that the primary purpose of the scripture of the spirit is to give revelation and understanding to the teachings of Jesus and ultimately speak to the believer to glorify Jesus. And that is the primary motive of the Holy Spirit. Glorify Jesus. As Jesus came and glorified his father, so therefore in his absence, when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come to glorify Jesus. And so Jesus just simply makes this point of fact. And then he continues on in verse number 15 and simply says this, that he will glorify me because he would take that which is of mine. And let me just simply say it this way. Why? It is all about Jesus. It is not about you. It is not about me. It is not about your glory. My glory is not about the attaining of things. It is not about the gathering of wealth. It is not about health. It's not about any of that. It is about Jesus and Jesus alone. The one who came, suffered and died and rose from the dead for our sake. He alone obtained our salvation. Therefore, glory to him and him alone. And in this, in the glory of Jesus, that is glory to the Father. When you glorify the Son, you glorify the Father. But anyway, back to the context. So Jesus simply said, and I use this language concerning the Holy Spirit taking a mind. The reason why I use such a strong language, he taking a mind. Why? Because all that the father has is mine. Again, what? That sense of unity with the father and also speaking ultimately of what? The divinity of Jesus. Jesus says what the father has in the absolute sense is his. And as the Holy Spirit is the spirit of God, Jesus claims the Holy Spirit to be sent from him and of him as well. So what do we see in totality here? We see the unity of the triune God. Unity of what? God the Father, God the Son, and even what? Here, God the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the topic here is all about the Spirit. But the Spirit who is sent by the Son. The Son who is sent by the Father. The Spirit who is one with God the Father and the Son in purpose, okay? And so Jesus, so what we just basically dealt with here is Jesus comforts their heart and simply says, even though he is going, he will send to them the Spirit. 
and the things that he is not able to teach them at this time, at a later time, the Holy Spirit will indwell them and reveal the truths that Jesus was not able to teach them, especially now because their hearts are heavy. But the Spirit will give them further revelations concerning Jesus. All right, 16. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, what is this thing he is telling us a little while and you will see, you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I go to the father. So they were saying, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Now, Jesus knew that they wished to question him and he said to them, are you deliberating together about this? that I said a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Okay, now, even though that seemed like a, a, an extensive section, it was very, it's very easy to understand, okay? So what was going on? Jesus once again tells them, he restates it again. A little while and you will not see me. And then again, a little while and you will see me. And again, talking about this whole issue about what ultimately returning to the father. The disciples were confused by Jesus statement saying about a little while and you won't see me. Then a little while you will see me. And they wanted to ask Jesus what he meant by that. But they didn't ask Jesus what he meant. So Jesus, knowing he sensed, because of course he's, he's God and he is exercising that divine knowledge here, knowing that they wanted to ask him about what he meant by a little while and they won't see him in a little while. Because this whole thing about you're going, you're coming, you're going, you're coming. What in the world is going on with this going and coming? What do you mean? He knew they wanted to ask them. And so Jesus just simply opened the door himself and says, okay, fine. You're wondering about what do I mean when I say that a little while you won't see me and a little while you will see me. And Jesus was basically, even though Jesus, he did not. And it's a beautiful thing. He did not give them all of the explanation. Notice he even said earlier, he just said it. The spirit will reveal all of these things, many things I desire to tell you, but right now your heart is just overcome with grief. You can't handle it, but the spirit will explain why I had to undergo these things, the, the persecution, the arrest, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit will teach you and give you the instructions as to what and why and explain it all. But nevertheless, let's go back here. So he says, you want to ask me about it. All I'm saying to you and what Jesus means, and here's, this is me given that interpretation. Jesus is speaking of, remember the time, all right? Final Passover and what? 
Soon, Jesus will be arrested, go through a mock trial with the Jews, taken to a, uh, before the Gentiles, before trial, condemned and crucified. And we know the rest. Third day, resurrect from the dead. So think about the ordeal that Jesus is about to experience. So when Jesus will be arrested and finally condemned and crucified a little while, you will not see me. And that's what he means, because during Jesus' crucifixion, they, of course, they didn't see him. He was buried. And for three days and nights, he was in the tomb. Then what happened? After those three days and nights, he rose from the dead. What did Jesus say? And a little while, you will see me. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. When he says, you will see me again, he's speaking of his resurrection from the dead. And then he continues on in a parabolic form, speaking of a woman about to have a child. And he talks about how that the woman endures great pain and labor. And what Jesus is comparing that to is the heartache and the pain and the sufferings that the disciples themselves will experience when Jesus is arrested, condemned, and crucified. This would be a hard time for the disciples. And this is what Jesus is relating to when he talks about the labor pains of a pregnant woman. But then he says what? But then after the labor pains, the woman gives birth to the child and, is, and she forgets all of the pain that she goes through and is consumed with joy. And this would be the state of the disciples. After Jesus resurrects from the dead, they're going to forget about all of the heartache that they experienced to see Jesus be crucified and things of that. They're going to forget all of that and just have overwhelming joy when they see their master has risen from the dead. This would be great joy. And this is what Jesus talks about. Therefore, you too, like the woman who is giving birth to that child at the time she is giving birth, She's going to have grief at the time when I'm being crucified. You are going to have grief. But when the woman brings forth the child, she has joy. Therefore, when I, Jesus, resurrect from the dead, you will have joy. And when you see Jesus resurrected from the dead, you will truly understand who he is. But we're not going to get into all of the details behind that. But seeing their resurrected Lord they will have joy and never sorrow again. This is the joy that Jesus will give to them even in his resurrection, a joy that cannot be taken away. Why? Because they will see Jesus resurrected from the dead, never to die again. And what will ultimately happen? He will ascend, he will ascend to the right hand of the Father in heaven giving them that ministry to continue and they will be able. Let's go back when Jesus talked about the sorrow and how the world will persecute them and how he's telling them ahead of time. Not only does the spirit remind them and the spirit enable them to suffer the persecutions of the world, but they have this abiding joy in that gospel that they're preaching about Jesus. Why? They are preaching about a resurrected savior to whom death has no power over. So the joy that they will have in Jesus' resurrection 
It will be a joy that can never be lost because it is an experience they will never forget. Their Lord has indeed risen. The message of what some people call the Easter Sunday. <laughs> this is the message of the gospel. He is risen. Okay. All right. Let's bring, let's bring it to a close. Just about a couple more passages. A couple more sections. 23. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and I have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Okay, so now Jesus begins to set forth a new order of things because remember, so how does it go? Remember, Jesus is looking forward to the future, to the time when he will be crucified, resurrect from the dead, and ascend to the Father. So what does he say? In the past, when you have asked the Father for things, you did not ask in my name. You just simply prayed and asked for whatever. But now there is a change. Remember, everything has to do with what? The glory of the Son. The glory of the Son. What does the Holy Spirit come to do? to glorify the son. Who does the Holy Spirit come to speak of? The son. It speaks of Jesus. Okay. So all things will be done to the glory of Jesus. So a new order of prayer is now being set forth for the disciples. Jesus said to them, now in the past, you didn't ask in my name, but from now going forward, whatever you ask the father, you ask in my name so that your joy might be full. So he says, simply saying, ask for the glory of Jesus. Okay, so let me slow that down. I want you to really get that. You ask, why? For the glory of Jesus. You ask, how? By the authority of Jesus. You ask, in what manner? That the Lord Jesus may be glorified in all things. And that's what Jesus means when he says, in my name. It's not some type of a word formula, some type of a magical formula that you say in order to get things done. Mm -mm. In my name simply means to the glory of Jesus, by the authority of Jesus, for the praise of Jesus, for the continuing work of Jesus, for the ministry that Jesus has left us to not to complete, but to continue in his absence. All of these things to be done in the name of Jesus. And in this way, your joy is made complete. Then he began to say, I've been speaking to you guys figuratively, because remember that Jesus has been saying many things that I wanted to say to you, 
but your heart is so heavy, I can't talk about it. And then again, he just gave them the parabolic situation about the woman that is about to give birth to the child and the great pain that she has to endure. Again, figurative language. So he says, I've been speaking to you in figurative language, but in that day, that is in the day of, and when he says that day, you have to understand it in a cumulative way, the day of his death, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension and coming of the Holy Spirit. That's one package. You must understand that in one package. Why? Because it is as Jesus, notice the context of everything that Jesus is saying. When the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit? How did Jesus refer to him? The Spirit of truth. He will reveal to you all the truth. All what truth? The truths that I have been wanting to tell you, but I have not been able to tell you. So this is what Jesus is talking about here when he says what? In that day, in the day of after these things have been complete, my death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the coming of the helper that I told you that I will send. He'll begin to reveal all of these things to you. And that's when, Je and that's when Jesus says, I will speak plainly to you. I will speak plainly to you. He'll speak plainly to them through the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus was saying. And so he says, in that day, you'll ask in his name. And we just talked about his name for the glory of Jesus, for the continuing ministry of Jesus. So therefore, we ask, we ask so that Jesus will be glorified so that we may do the things that are pleasing to our Lord. And so he says simply this. It was not so much, that's verse number 27, 26 and 27. I, not that I just need, not that I need to make requests for you on behalf of the Father. Now, he's not so much talking about intercession, but what he's simply saying is, as you can see it in verse number 27, yes, Jesus will intercede for the disciples, for us, to the Father. But what he is saying is this, I don't just simply have to do these things. Why? 27. The father loves you anyway. The father will hear you. The father will listen to you, but not because of you. The father will listen to you. Why? Because you have loved me and you have believed that I have come from the father. The father loves you and the father will hear you because you believe in me because of your relationship with me. And so Jesus simply emphasizing the fact that you can rest assured. Number one, the protocol will be to ask in my name. All things will be for the glory of the son. But nevertheless, take heart. The father loves you and the father is already willing to do what you're asking him to do. That is to the glory of Jesus. Why? Because you love me, because you believe in me. So ask. So Jesus simply set for the protocol going forward in how we should ask or make requests. That is in his name for his glory. Okay. 29. His disciples said, lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this, we believe you came from God. Jesus answered them, 
Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, let's take a little time and look at these verses a little closer, okay? So now notice, now that Jesus answered their question, remember where we were. Jesus said, a little while you will not see me, a little while you will see me. And the disciples didn't want to ask Jesus. And then Jesus automatically knew what they wanted to ask them. And he began to answer the question that they were not asking him. He explained that. And so once Jesus finished that explanation, what we just finished in that previous section, once Jesus finished that explanation, the disciples responded to Jesus somewhat in a joyful way. And they simply said, what? Now we know that you know all things. By this, we believe you come from God. Why? Jesus answered their question without them having to ask. He knew what they were thinking when they didn't say what they were thinking, okay? And so the disciples were simply saying, now we believe, notice, we believe that you came from God. This is a statement of divinity. They are simply saying, we believe that you are who you say that you are, that you are really and truly God. Why is that the case? Because you know what is in a man's mind. You can read minds. Only God can read what is in a man's mind and heart. And so they're saying by Jesus answering that question, well, not answering the question, but he did answer the question, but it was a question that they never asked. And Jesus' response, so they say, was proof enough for them that indeed he was God. He was who he said that he was and that he knew all things. This idea of Jesus knowing all things, we'll see will come into play even later. So Jesus responds and says to them, really? Do you really believe that I am God? Do you really believe that I am the son of God from that? Is it, is it a, a found thing, a, a sure thing? Is it an unshakable belief that you have that I am God? And that's when Jesus says, <laughs> let me tell you something. So he introduces verse 32. Behold, let me tell you something. What? The hour is coming, even it already is. Why did he say the hour is coming? That is the hour of Jesus's, when he, his persecution, when Jesus would be arrested, ultimately tried, ultimately crucified. That's why he said the hour is coming and it's already now. Why? Because this is the end of the Passover. What happens at Jesus' final Passover? He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. For a few hours, he prays. Judas comes with a band of soldiers. Jesus is arrested and it's on. And it's on. And it goes from that event leading to Jesus' crucifixion. The hour is coming, even what already is now upon us. What, what will happen when that hour comes? You will be scattered. Why did Jesus say it this way? They're speaking to Jesus saying, we are faithful. We are loyal. Why? 
We believe that you're God. And in believing that you're God, we're standing by you. And that's the inference that you need to draw from what is being said here. We believe, we believe that you are God. We believe that you're the son of God. We believe that you know all things. Oh my God, we really indeed believe. And that's why Jesus says, do you really believe? Are you really faithful to me? Are you really founded and sure? Are you really established, unshakable, unmovable, like you're suggesting? Jesus says, no, you're not as strong as you think you are. Why? Because the time of my temptation, that is the arrest in the garden, the time of my temptation is coming. And what will you do? You very ones who are saying what? We believe. We believe that you're God. We know that you know. You very ones who are saying these things to me at that time, you will leave me and be scattered and I will be left all alone. But although I'll be left all alone, I won't be alone. Why? Because in all of this ordeal, the father will always be with me. And Jesus is speaking in general sense for as all the while Jesus was suffering when he went through the trials, when he went through before Pilate, when they put him on the cross, the father was always there. Even when Jesus says, Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Speaking of fulfillment of Psalm 22. Even if there was a brief hiatus, and I'm not going to get into all the details right now with that. We'll talk about that once we get to the cross. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, the father had never turned his back on the son, even though the son at a particular moment, at a particular moment, took upon himself the judgment, the weight of the sins of the world and darkness of sin. Nevertheless, there was never a separation between the son and the father. God was always with him. And this is what he's saying to the disciples. And then he says, because what? Jesus understanding the scene, the upcoming scene of his crucifixion, a horrible, horrible thing that's going to happen to him. What's going to be in the mind of the disciples? The disciples are weak. The disciples have scattered. The disciples will be afraid. They don't know what to do and all of that. But remember what Jesus simply said. He said, it's like a woman. The pain is so great at first, but in the process of time, she delivers a baby and then she has great joy and forgets all of the pain. So you will be my disciples. So you'll be when they do all of these things to me and when they crucify me, you will have the hurt and the labor pains, the labor pains of a broken heart when you see all of these things done unto me and me be crucified and buried. But after three days, I will appear to you and I will resurrect from the dead. And like the woman who has a child and have joy, you too, my disciples, will have joy. And so what does he say? These things I've spoken to you so that in me, you will have peace. I have been telling you about what the world would do unto you. I have been telling you about the Holy Spirit will come unto you and give you the teachings that I would not 
I was not able to teach you because you were so depressed at the moment and how the Holy Spirit will come and instruct you, encourage you and strengthen you and prepare you and how the Holy Spirit will speak and glorify me through you and your preachings. I have spoken them how you need to pray. Once I am gone, you now pray to the glory of me. You pray in my name. I have told you about the sufferings that I will endure and the heartache that you will temporarily endure. I have told you all of these things. Why? So that ultimately, when you see me go through these things and when you see me resurrect from the dead, you will have peace. But as far as the world is concerned, how the world will treat you, how the world will soon treat me, you will be, there will be tribulation. But guess what? Take courage, even though the world will crucify me. But take heart, even though the world will think they have gotten rid of me, I will raise from the dead. Take courage. I have overcome the world. And so Jesus is speaking future tense. I have overcome the world. Well, why? They will crucify him, but that will not be the last say. In three days, he'll rise again with power and great glory. And so he simply says to them here, so therefore, when you see all of these things, take courage, have joy, have peace in your heart, and know your Savior lives. Okay, guys, thanks for joining me with that teaching in John chapter 16. I don't think we were too long with that particular one. But anyway, if the Lord has blessed your heart through these teachings, there is always a link in the description that you can use to support this ministry. And I urge you to come alongside of me and support the ministry. For those of you who have supported the ministry, always thank you for all that you do. And anyway, join me next time as we continue on with Jesus' final, final words to his disciples in John chapter 17 in his priestly prayer for his people as he prepares to undergo, or should I even say, prepares for his arrest and then ultimately his crucifixion. All right, guys, see you then.